Hello, I'm Julie and I am a recovering overthinker. And today I'm going to talk to you about what has caused suffering in my life, what ultimately saved me from suffering and how anybody can end the suffering in their lives, no matter what is going on. I work with others as a trauma-informed, transformational coach, a meaning and purpose practitioner and resilience practitioner to help them find opportunities that may be available in some of the tough challenges we experience in life. And ultimately, what I've found to be true is that the pain that we experience is inevitable, but the suffering is optional. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there was me. And I say a galaxy far, far away because I'd created so much separation between myself and the rest of the world purely by the way I chose to think about the things that had happened to me and around me. Now, the way I chose to think about things when I was a child was hardly my fault. It was just the way that I had adapted to situations and it was a way of surviving. At the age of eight years old, I was molested by a stranger and managed to avoid getting taken away in his car. The very early trauma basically set me up to think and behave in a way that in the moment was really, really useful. Well, I survived. But over the longer term, what it did was turn me into a full-time risk assessor I would assess every situation for danger. Um, I would play out in my mind many, many different scenarios and then usually choose the scariest one to inform my response in the present moment. So that served me well in a few situations, but ultimately it taught me how to live predominantly in fear. And I don't know if you're aware, but when our body is in that fight and flight or freeze space, we're really not in balance. We're not working properly. But it's a perfect response to deal with a threat in our external world. We shut down digestion. We shut down our immune systems. We pump blood faster around our bodies in preparation for running and getting the hell out of there. It's a brilliant design in nature that's supposed to be short-lived. However... We live in a world now where we can be subjected to stressors that continue on and on and on in our everyday lives. <clears throat> and what I've found to be the most stressful is actually our own interpretations of events, the narratives that we give, the meaning that we give to the events that happen to us. So I'd like to do a little thought experiment with you. But feel free to stop this recording and take time to do it if you wish. So think about something that happened in your past. Maybe some sort of confrontation or event that made you feel a bit uncomfortable. And if we're looking at a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the most traumatic event and 0 being not at all traumatic, we're looking for something at a low level, around a 3 or a 4. Something that irks you a little, but wasn't majorly traumatic. <clears throat> I want you to bring 
to your attention that event or conversation. And who was there? How did you feel at the time? What did you see? Was there any smells that you're aware of? And what did you say? And what was it about what that other person said or did that really got to you in that moment? How did you feel in your body? And what do you wish you had said in that moment? In reliving it, what would you change about this event? So I'll give you a couple of moments to think about that. Just pause the recording. What did you notice when you were replaying that situation? What did you notice in your body? Was your heart beating faster? Did you feel really angry again or sad or whatever the overriding emotion was? Did you see and hear it exactly as it was? And do you feel that you would like to relive it again so that you could come up with the perfect words and the perfect response? And ask yourself, where does this situation actually exist now? And I would suggest that it really only lives in our minds as a thought form. The past doesn't exist anywhere else but in our minds and neither does our future. So when we are recalling something that happened to us in our past, or even when we're projecting into the future and trying to preempt a situation by practicing all the different scenarios in our minds, our body doesn't actually know the difference between what's actually happening right now and what our brain is visualizing. My point being that when we choose to bring these events into our present moment, we're effectively living the same experience over and over again because our biology responds in the same way. We may have only experienced that trauma once and as if that wasn't enough, we relive it again and again and again and cause our bodies the same amount of stress. For me in my life to date, the things that have probably brought about the greatest transformations are the periods of turmoil. Nowadays, instead of reliving the events in the same way they were experienced, I use a completely different approach. So two things stick, in, stick out as providing the greatest transformations for me. And those were relationships that I've had and a cancer diagnosis. The relationships I had in the past, I recognise now, looking back, that I was searching for something outside of myself in order to feel complete and whole. And I think whenever we're searching outside of ourselves for something, we're looking in the wrong direction. I was waiting for something to shine a torch on me rather than allowing my own light to shine out from within. The relationship I had with my child's dad ended suddenly when my son was nine months old. 
and after a few months, I met up with an old friend from school. I remember meeting this person for a drink and during our conversation, I was aware of something within me saying, no, but yet my mind was saying, yeah. And the rationale I gave to that was that because I had knowledge and a certain history of this person, this person must be safe. So I went against what my gut instinct was saying. And I really didn't recognise it as being my gut instinct or intuition at the time. I learned the difference later. It just sounded like my usual overactive brain. Three years later, and after quite a lot of drama, I found myself one evening behind a door trying to protect myself and my child from him. Then his fists came through the door one by one, just narrowly missing my face. In that moment, instead of feeling fear, I felt a real sense of calm, as though I was looking at the whole situation from above. I could see it exactly for what it was, and I knew exactly what I needed to do, and I just needed to get out of there. I needed to do it carefully though, and I managed to get myself and my son away into another room and barricade the door for the evening, and in the morning I was able to leave safely. I convinced him that I was going to visit my dad for a few hours, and so I only took a small bag with a few things in it for my son so as not to raise any suspicions, and I left, and that was that. Although this person hounded me for quite some time after, saying some really horrible things. And I know where you live, etc. And even though I had so much compassion for this person, because his life hadn't been the easiest, I still found myself demented trying to convince him of who I really was. Try to convince him that he was wrong in the things that he was saying about me. They were untrue. And how could he possibly think these things? I was absolutely consumed by this. Eventually, again, this feeling of calm came over me and I thought, hang on a minute, why am I wasting all of my energy trying to convince this person I am the opposite of what he says I am? Why am I not taking this time to learn who I really am and be proud of myself for who I am? And this led me to one other question. What is the common denominator here in all these relationship difficulties? And in asking that question, I realised the common denominator was me. And by saying that, I'm not saying or suggesting that I did anything particularly wrong or I was a horrible person. I just recognised I'd been looking in all the wrong places for the things I thought I needed in life. All the wrong places. So these relationships were a symptom of trying to grasp at something outside of myself to make myself feel complete and whole. When really, we're already complete and whole and there's nothing that we need to do other than possibly strip away all the layers that we've built up over the years, which keep us from believing that we are complete and whole. So the only work that we really ever have to do is to go within. We're not here to fix others. Treating everyone else like a mirror 
will allow us to see where we are not free and out of balance. And instead of making that situation mean that men can't be trusted, I came to the conclusion that I just really didn't trust myself yet. And as for him, I recognise that he was just doing the best with what he had and what he knew. And I wish him well in his life and send him healing vibes. If I believed he should be any other way than how he was, I was really only tormenting myself. So I remained single for five years after that event, which was the longest time I'd been single since I was 13. I threw myself into trying to find a better way of existing. I looked into and read everything I could find on positive psychology, the science of happiness, etc. And self-development was always something that I was really interested in. Because when I was in my early 20s, I remember hearing somebody say, by the time you're 30, you're absolutely fixed in your personality. That's it and there's nothing you can do about it. Which, by the way, turns out to be untrue. The best transformations happened for me after the age of 30. But at the time, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I have not got long at all. I really need to change the way that I am now because I cannot live like this forever. It was always driven by a need to find a better way. So I've been collecting all these little nuggets of information over the years, sometimes using them, sometimes storing them away in my brain for a time that they might become useful. And I set up the Happiness Project in 2015, which allowed people to nominate friends and family that were struggling in life to receive a gift to cheer them up a little. It was anonymous at the time and people would nominate and I would send gifts that I had made all over the world. I loved it and it gave me so much at the time. I wanted to be of better service to the people that were contacting me online and that's why I ended up training as a coach. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was like everything that I'd ever experienced in my life, everything that I'd ever learned and read in books my training as a coach were all just put there in preparation for this moment. And just prior to being diagnosed, I kept experiencing a smell. It was like a fermented fruit. And one day, feeling pretty frustrated and confused about this, I asked out loud, what the hell is that smell? I suddenly heard this voice come back to me that said, it's cancer. And of course I ignored it. If I did have cancer, surely the voice would be shouting as loud as it could. And this was really a quiet, unassuming voice. And I just thought, here you go again. Here's your mind coming up with all the possible negative scenarios. I totally dismissed it. And a couple of weeks later, and thankfully it was only a couple of weeks and not months or years, I was standing in the kitchen and on reaching across myself for something, I actually felt a lump just sticking out. And I'd never felt it before, but it was very, very prominent that day. And strangely, for a good while after that, it wasn't that prominent. 
So I feel like if I hadn't noticed that it that day, I'm really not sure how long it would have taken. So I'm really grateful for that day. And I very quickly made an appointment because I knew that this is something that I should not mess about with. Waiting for the appointment and then the results probably from start to finish was about a month. That was by far the worst time in all of this. I came to understand it is the not knowing that drives us completely crazy. We try and make sense of what's happening to us by creating a narrative, by creating meaning. And we project into the future to try and emphasize all the many different possible outcomes. Or we search for narratives that are already out there to use as our template for making it through, which in the world of cancer is quite a risky strategy. In the first week or so of waiting, I remember waking up every morning and there were a few blissful moments when my mind had not remembered what I was facing. Those moments were absolute heaven. It was the start of lockdown, so I was trying to navigate that for myself and my son whilst having this hanging over my head. The fear was just getting stronger and stronger. And of course, my fear was of having my life cut short and not being here for my son. I kept trying to bat it away and say, everything will be fine. But I didn't actually know that they would be fine, so that really didn't work. I actually forced myself out of necessity into going into the fear and really just sitting with it. There was nowhere else to go with it, really. This was a hugely transformational moment for me because I think it was the first time that I'd actually went into the fear and just sat with it, experienced it and then let it pass. I sat with it for a really, really long time and allowed it to have its say. And in that it started to dissolve and it no longer had that tight grip on me. This was a really new experience for me. I'd always lived in my head and I thought all the answers lay there. And now I'm not fearful of what feelings can do. They're natural. And the best thing we can do is feel into them and let them just pass on through. I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, grade 3 which is fairly typical of a triple negative breast cancer, tends to be more aggressive than some of the other types. If you've ever read anything about triple negative breast cancer, you'll have seen that all the articles or research papers start in the same way. Gloom and doom. And if I'd taken any of this to heart, I'm not sure I would be as healthy as I am now. What I very quickly realised in that office when they said those words, I'm really sorry, you've got cancer, is that I was okay. I mean, I felt okay. I didn't suddenly die and nothing actually changed in that moment. I was still in the same position as I was the day before and the only difference being the label that I was given. I realised that I was actually in the present moment and from this moment... I was feeling just fine. Did I expect to suddenly feel ill when I got told I had cancer? 
I don't really know, but I bet some people do just from the stress of it all. And that's what I hold on to all the time now. So how do I actually feel in this moment? I mean, if they hadn't told me, how would I know that I had cancer? It's an interesting question. When they told me, they followed up by saying, don't worry, it's nothing that you've done. And I could totally understand why they say that. It's to avoid people being made to feel bad about the choices that we've made, etc. But in saying that, wouldn't that also mean there was nothing that I could do to change the situation either? Like if there was truly nothing that had happened previously that had an influence in this diagnosis, that would mean that we are all at the absolute mercy of things completely out of our control. And that just didn't sit right with me at all. They said, don't make any dramatic changes to your lifestyle. Don't take any supplements, especially antioxidants. Surgery, chemo and radiation are the treatment options for you. I refuse to believe that there were no changes that I could make to increase my chances. So I immediately set about changing everything. I thought that if I could at least find any underlying health issues, then maybe I could get closer to finding a root cause or multiple root causes. I spent so much time researching, but in, in doing so, I decided to bypass the start of every article linked to triple negative breast cancer and got straight into the meat of where the useful information was. I got myself a functional medicine practitioner their whole role is based on finding the root cause of any disease. So it made perfect sense to me. I found a few things that when added to other factors were described by my functional medicine practitioner as being the perfect storm. I researched all the supports that I could take during chemotherapy to add to its efficacy whilst also protecting my healthy cells as much as possible. I did fasting prior to, during and after infusions. I knew that exercise was a really important factor as well as diet in getting through the treatment well and also for a better prognosis. So I decided to do a walk and run the length of Scotland for charity. I knew that just by putting something like that out there, it would keep me accountable on the days that I maybe just didn't feel like moving at all. I raised just under 5,000 for charity, but for my health, it was probably one of the best things that I did throughout my treatment. I researched all the things that can cause cancer in our bodies, and the more I read, the more complicated it became, and the more I realised that there was never going to be one silver bullet. It takes between six and ten years to build a body that's conducive to cancer growth. So you can see that it's probably going to take more time than just the conventional treatment to bring your body back into balance. The best way to become aware of where you might be out of balance is just to do a simple audit of your life. I would stress that you do not need to wait and you should not wait for a diagnosis to do so. You can do it at any time. 
and it'll be so worth it to make the changes now that you've been putting on the back burner. We may not even be aware of some of the factors that contribute to disease in our lives. And so getting educated on these things is also really important. Some of the major contributing factors to disease are stress, which is absolutely huge, dysbiosis of our microbiome, unprocessed emotions and previous traumas, inflammation in the body, toxic load, so the things that we put in and on our body, the materials in our homes that have been treated with chemicals, such as carpets, bed frames, mattresses, paint on the walls, weed killer in our gardens and roadsides, pesticides on foods, contaminants in our water, contaminants in rice, plastic bottles, preservatives in skincare products and foods, fuel pollution outside, fuel pollution in our cars, when we go travelling on planes, etc., broken circadian rhythms so going against our body's optimal times for food and sleep poor sleep processed sugars processed foods and a poor diversity of foods viruses bacteria parasites and fungus so there are some genetic factors that come into play but mostly they're to do with issues relating to detoxification pathways etc rather than being hereditary there's very few cancers that are actually hereditary. It's around 10%, which means that a huge 90% is down to environmental factors, which also includes how we think and how we feel. Yep, how we think and how we feel directly influences how our genes are expressed. It's fascinating and empowering to know that we're not at the mercy of our genes and that the majority of cancers are avoidable through lifestyle medicine. If we do get diagnosed, knowing that even after the fact, we can still downregulate and upregulate certain genes that have become mutated. Basically, because of the current environment, change the signaling of the DNA to make it do something different in a bid to survive. You see, my body seemed to be acting on a micro level the same as I was acting on the whole, disconnected and separated. Cancer cells felt like they were on a galaxy far, far away too. And with that feeling of separateness, they no longer knew what they were supposed to do. They mutate further and multiply faster in this illusion of separateness in order to survive. You see, cancer... If you're willing to listen, always has a story to tell. Kill it, fight it, get rid of this alien inside me. I've never really bought into that approach mentally. Although I did opt for conventional treatment alongside all these great integrative approaches, I've always felt that having a fighting spirit was not conducive to healing. You see, to me... A fighting spirit is born out of the resistance to what is. And whilst we continue to resist, the problem persists. I've found the greatest source of suffering is in the resistance to what is. Think about a situation you really struggled with. 
and track that feeling you had back to a thought and a bit somewhere there is a thought like, that shouldn't be happening. And it's so liberating just to let go. It's not a passive existence where you give up on everything, far from it. It's empowering to let go of the mental noise and the physical grip of resistance. It's absolutely futile to argue with what is. We know that it is because the evidence is there to see. It happened. Acceptance of what is is crucial. And this is one of the main hurdles I've come across in my work with others who have been diagnosed. They often mistake acceptance for resignation. And what they don't realise is in that moment, their minds are sitting in the future, looking at a potentially dire outcome. And of course, we're not looking to accept any future outcomes. We're simply accepting what is in this moment. So I first worked together with people on awareness, awareness of the thoughts we're having, awareness of how those thoughts make us feel in our bodies, awareness of the triggers that cause certain thought patterns. And the more awareness we bring to our own thoughts and subsequent reactions to those thoughts, the greater the space that opens up between the thought and the action. And this space is peace. This space is heaven. We realise in the space that we are the observer of the thoughts. We're not the thoughts. One of the biggest illusions is thinking that we are the thoughts and overly identifying with them. For example, sitting here right now whilst I speak to you, you may start to notice your mind wandering off to other things. You may notice your body starting to get restless. And that's a perfectly normal human response. But there's a huge difference in recognising this as a normal human response in our bodies and labelling it as who we are. Like, oh, I'm such a fidget. Or I'm never able to focus on things for very long. Or I get bored so easily. Or... I can't believe I was thinking about what I was going to eat later on when she's talking about cancer. Is that bad? <laughs> Rather, when you notice anything like that, just be kind. Smile and gently bring yourself back to the present moment without identifying or labelling it in any way. Because just because we have a thought, it doesn't make it true. I like to use the imagery of a flowing river where the water is the stream of thoughts that we're having. And instead of jumping in and being dragged along with every thought, we can instead just sit on the bank and observe. Because blocking thoughts and feelings just doesn't work. I tried it lots. It just makes them stronger and it takes up so much energy. Think of trying to hold a beach ball under the water indefinitely. It would be exhausting and eventually it would burst up through the surface whether you wanted to let go of it or not. So if you're aware that you're trying to hold on to a few balls under the water, try just letting them go and allowing them just to be there. 
You don't need to do anything with them, just observe. They'll float alongside you for a while and one day you might even notice that they've disappeared completely. When we live in the present moment, we deal with the feelings that come up in the moment and we observe our thoughts rather than overly identifying with them. And we can free up so much energy to allow our brains to do what it's really good at, and that's creating. We can choose to engage our brain in useful ways rather than allowing it to be in control. The mind makes an excellent servant, but a terrible master. I want to take a moment here to honour my friend Joanne, who passed away on the 6th of October 2022. I only knew her since the February of that year when I saw her post a message on a forum which was full of fear and panic. She had triple negative breast cancer too. I can't bear to think of anybody being full of fear and dread. So I spoke to her a lot and helped her as much as I could with her mind, giving her as much information as I could on resources, etc. And we became good friends. It's a bond that happens quickly and deeply in these circumstances, and it certainly cuts straight to the heart of things. Joanne was just diagnosed in January of that year. One of my main aims in speaking to you all, anybody that will listen really, is hopefully to change the narrative around cancer a little, so that people like Joe, who find themselves at the start line of this kind of diagnosis, are not full of dread and fear right from the get-go, so they don't immediately jump to making it mean that they're going to die, no matter what that consultant may say. There's so much that we can do to empower ourselves and make changes to our overall health and well-being. Don't let anybody put an expiry date on your life, not even the professionals in the white coats. Nobody can know when your number is up, so just don't believe them. Accept the diagnosis, but never ever the prognosis. The prognosis lives in the future and we can never be privy to that knowledge. We accept what we know to be true in this moment. And they base their prognosis on stats, which are only relevant at the time and only related to the people in that particular study who received only treatment from inside the conventional box. So you're not a stat and every new person that walks into their office is an individual. And it's important that you do not buy into the current cancer narrative that you see all around us. Find your own way through that suits you that feels good for you and that resonates with you. Back to Joanne. I believe that for some of us, there's just a different plan. A higher power has a different plan and of course that's okay. It's hard for us here because we come up with all sorts of stories about why that shouldn't be the case. They die too young, we'd say. But really, is the length of someone's life in years really a good measure of a life lived well? I don't think so. Is it a universal truth that people should live until they're in their 80s or beyond? Well, no, it isn't. So when someone dies, don't say, 
they lost their battle or fight. They didn't lose. In the words of Ramdas, death is not a failure. It's the taking off of a tight shoe that you've worn well. When people are diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, the focus tends to switch to avoiding death rather than truly living. My programme that I put together for those diagnosed is all about living a life that they love, regardless of how long they have left to live it. Living in the moment, finding out who they truly are, finding their strengths, freeing themselves from attachment to thoughts or freeing themselves from the way they think things should be rather than the way they actually are. During an expanding consciousness retreat recently, I received a message and that message said, death really isn't the issue. You know what it is to die. You've done it a hundred times before. But what is it to truly live? I took that to mean that I'm on the right track with my own healing and on the right track with what I have to offer others. I was always aware growing up that there was something else to our existence. And when times were really tough, I absolutely longed to go back to that place, the place before breath. And I so nearly did go back there a few times. But I'm so glad that I didn't because there's always, always, always a way through. I know for certain now, because I've lived it and breathed it, that it is absolutely possible to live in heaven on earth. And it's called the present moment. And it really is so beautiful in its simplicity. So the last thing I'll ask you is, what does it mean to you to truly live? Thank you for listening.